difference in thought. This is episode number seven, Fragility Has Consequences, Colin Kaepernick, Baltimore, and the Gun Trace Task Force. As promised for many, many weeks to come, (laughs) we're finally going to start our series, Fragility Has Consequences. Now, for us, everybody has a time where it's their first time listening to the podcast, so if this is your first time, I want to say number one, welcome. And also here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages and processes recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with A Difference in Thought. This podcast is an honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The core philosophy here is that basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. Before considering where you would like to see a difference, first consider where you are willing to take a subtraction. Now, as you know, uh, the first part of that is uh, processing recent events. Um, so I want to start a new segment because, I, you know, I have a lot of things I want to talk about and kind of have to go in order. But sometimes certain things happen. And I just kind of want to talk about them. They may or may not tie in directly to it. So um, it is going to be a new segment on the show called Do Better, Baby. Basically, we're just going to look at (laughs) places where people have dropped the ball. And uh, we will um, give them the coverage for Do Better, Baby. And so in the first inaugural uh, assignment of the Do Better, Baby segment, goes to a Seattle-based company called Starbucks. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen the news where two people in a Philadelphia, two black uh, men who were real estate uh, brokers, uh, were going to meet a friend in a Starbucks, which, you know, a lot of times that's the meeting place. They even say, hey, meet up at Starbucks, right? So they are uh, waiting for a friend to arrive and... Uh, Someone calls, uh, I guess, an employee at uh, Starbucks calls the police and says that they're luring because they haven't bought anything. And, uh, you know, again, it's 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 one of those things where you kind of come in at the end. And so you see that these police are being um, these police are arresting these two men. 
you see a white gentleman who's uh, very upset and saying, well, you guys are just arresting these people because they're black and sitting in a restaurant. And one of the police officers says, uh, <laughs> it looks like he says, uh, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's L. Um, and uh, uh, the white woman who was recording this tweeted out to Starbucks and says, hey, you know, what's what's going on here? You know, this is this shouldn't this should not uh, it should not have happened. Um, so these people are arrested just for for uh, uh, loitering. And so and again, this is a whole thing that I, I keep telling people, like, because, you know, and we're talking about fragility here. And so you see this fragility kicking in. Uh, and again, if uh, it's. If you guys haven't heard episode number two, I would listen to episode number two just to know. So when we're talking about fragility, what we're talking about. But the running uh, definition that we had there was uh, fragility is the reaction of the privilege to suppress voices uh, of the oppressed to challenge them to change how they participate in a power structure. So, again, fragility is the reaction of the privileged. Uh, in a power structure to suppress voices of the oppressed who challenge them to change how they participate. So now we have people uh, and, you know, shout out to the to the two white individuals who decided they were going to be anti instead of non. And so the the the, the white individual who was confronting the police and also the um, uh, uh, white uh, lady who was recording and using their resources to challenge and not just idly sit by. We talked about that in the last episode. Uh, but when you start seeing this online, then you see people saying, well, surely there must have been something else that must have been done. And, you know, no one wants to call it out for what it is. And so here we see Starbucks, you know, as these things always go, they issue an apology, right? It says, we apologize to the two individuals and our customers for what took place at our first Philadelphia store on Thursday. Um, we apologize to the two individuals and our customers and are disappointed this led to an arrest. We take these matters seriously and clearly have more work to do when it comes to how we handle incidents in our stores. We are reviewing our policies and will continue to engage with the community and the police department to try to ensure these types of situations never happen again in our stores. So they're basically saying, um, uh, man, I'm really I'm really sad <laughs> the police escalated this situation. Uh to which I responded, and I'm, you know, I just sent it out into the interwebs. I doubt I'll get a response. So I said, uh, nah, fam, <laughs> engage with your racist managers. You need to be disappointed this led to racial profiling and a call to the police, not just that it escalated to an arrest. What specific policies are you reviewing? And do you directly address bias and unconscious bias in said training for associates? Now, I want to remind you, this is the same organization that um, I think it was last year, maybe, where they had this, you know, PR campaign of talk about racism with your barista or something like that. And so it's like, while you're waiting for your cup, you, you, you can talk to them about racism and all these other different things. And so, you know, is, is, is it going to be a PR is going to be policy, right? If you find out that people are racially profiling and uh, obviously they're not calling the police on everybody who goes there without uh, without uh, buying something because there would have to be paddy wagons uh, parked outside of Starbucks all across America. So you, you see here that this is disparate treatment. Uh, again, you can listen to the last episode if you're wondering what's disparate treatment. Um, and so Starbucks, you get the do better, baby. Like, I need you all to take <laughs> this serious and know that there are people in your organization that have unconscious bias or maybe even prejudice and are acting on those prejudices and are affecting your 
and affecting uh, patrons of color, right? Uh, there's no reason why, and again, we talked about uh, in episode three, but part of the racial caste system is criminalized presence assigned to uh, assigned to African Americans. And so these people are sitting here, and then you, you, when you see people online say, oh, there must have been something else, or there's something more to it, they must have been. It's like, look, here's again this fragility that's coming in and saying, we want to suppress the voice. We, we won't want to say that, you know, it's possible for people to just blatantly be racist. And you just see this as happens with African Americans and police all across the country, right? Um, and also happens, actually, most people that suffer from police brutality and killings are actually Native Americans. And so instead of saying, hey, this is a true thing we need to look into, it's this fragility that says, oh, it may, it, there must be something else, right? So Starbucks, you get the do better, baby. I want you to review your policies. Uh, how do you directly address bias and unconscious bias? Uh, do you even talk about it? Or do you just say awkwardly once a year we'll talk about racism <laughs> while we misspell people's names on coffee cups? <laughs> yeah, there's a. Um, I was on Twitter as I was just seeing the different reactions to this. And the favorite reaction that I, I, I saw to this was a guy by the name of... Uh, Andre. And um, he says, I'm done. I'm absolutely done with watching with watching while black people are criminalized, arrested, shot at and executed because white folks cannot police their imagination. There is no earthly reason two men simply waiting on a friend at Starbucks should have ended up in handcuffs. Um. And he goes on to continue also and say, there's no earthly reason a black teenage boy knocking on a neighbor's door for direction should have been shot at. And that's uh, <laughs> brings in uh, the young man who there was a black uh, young black man who missed his bus and he's just knocking on the door for directions. And a, a, a white guy shoots, a, I think, like a shotgun at him or something like that. So uh, it was crazy. But uh, I, I liked his concept of saying, don't police us, but police your imagination. Um, the scriptures inform us uh, that uh, we should take every thought captive, as in every thought that think that <laughs> comes through our mind, we ought to make sure that it lines up uh, with God's guidelines. My dad uh, phrases it this way. He likes to say, you need to think about what you're thinking about. <laughs> Not everything that crosses your mind should be taken as gospel. There are things... Uh, and uh, patterns of this world that have been embedded in your mind that, uh, and we talk about this in the racial caste system of America, especially there's a criminalized presence that's assigned to, to black people. And until people are willing to, you know, openly talk about that and address that, things like this are going to continue to happen. So, no, I don't need you to talk to me about racism <laughs> uh, while I'm trying to get a latte. <laughs> what I need you to do is to police your imagination, all right? So you get the first, do better, baby. So we uh, <laughs> absolutely uh, do do not uh, condone that. Uh, I don't know if I'll be uh, returning there. I mean, I'm already mad that they shut down T-Vonic, but, you know, that's a whole different thing. Uh, and so that Starbucks getting the very first, uh, do better, baby. Uh, and so Starbucks, uh, again, you know, it's based in Seattle, Seattle, Washington. So it's kind of interesting because so many people think this is like a liberal paradise. But 
other troubling news in Seattle. Our good friend, uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, was looking to uh, train and just kind of show uh, how prepared he was to be uh, signed with the Seattle Seahawks. And he was all set to train. And apparently they asked him, hey, man, uh, before we get this whole practice set up, uh, are you still intending to kneel? Right. Because he is taking a knee to demonstrate uh, uh, the injustices and the inequity towards people of color and specifically when it comes to police brutality. And so you have this uh, this stance and this is why he was uh, he was uh, pretty much blackballed by the league. He still has an ongoing uh, lawsuit against the NFL I think Mark Garagos, I believe, is still as an attorney, and they're suing for collusion, where pretty much people are saying, hey, uh, until this guy uh, <laughs> changes how he exercises his free speech, we're not going to sign him to the NFL, right? And so the, the previous thing had always been about, well, it must be about his stats. It must be about X, Y, Z. But here, blatantly, they said, hey, uh, are you still planning to kneel? To which he says, you know, yes, I am. Uh, and then they cancel his training session. Not only do the council this training session, but now they have actually signed uh, a quarterback, uh, uh, Stephen Morris, who hasn't started <laughs> in a he's never played in an actual professional football game. But uh, I guess he's 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 all right with uh, not kneeling and surrendering his free speech. But uh and that's the end of the road for them, for Kaepernick. So here the Seattle Seahawks uh, are passing on uh, Colin Kaepernick, not because of his skill set, because he didn't even get to train, uh, but simply because of his stance and his willingness to kneel and still call out uh, the evils that are going on. Uh, you also uh, see that last year he was also kept out, and he was kept out of a specific city, Baltimore. Uh, now, some people say oh, it's because his girlfriend made some texts about Ray Lewis or different things like that. But let's keep in mind, we have teams that are protecting and hiring people that domestically abuse their girlfriends uh, and significant others. Um, heck, Aaron Hernandez, uh, when he played for the Patriots, had a hobby of killing people in the offseason. He still was able to return. But lo and behold... <laughs> Apparently, a, 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 a joke gone wrong is too much um, for Baltimore, even though um, the joke that the person was made against, Ray Lewis, um, allegedly killed someone. Uh, <laughs> but they let him back. But anyways, um, happened specifically in the state of Baltimore. Now, here is... Uh, and we talk about here about fragility and the whole theme of fragility has consequences pretty much talks about if you uh, if you don't even move to non-racism, right, or non-classism or non-sexism or whatever you're, you're, you're doing. Uh, again, fragility is the wrong response to uh, voices of the oppressed. Right. Uh, when uh, they challenge us to change how we participate in the power structure, uh, fragility is any type of form that seeks to suppress them in order to protect, right? And so, you know, the NFL wants to either protect their money or protect their image or 
uh, a lot of fragility came uh, about with talking about troops and saying, oh, well, this is disrespectful to the troops and you're so fragile being around that that they don't even actually talk about police. How many of these conversations have we talked about veterans, 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 but have we even talked about police? Have you even taken a look past our fragility and said, well, what is this brother talking about? What's kind of going on? And so it's ironic that Baltimore, who was so quick to sign, to throw Colin Kaepernick to the curb, lo and behold, uh, they have had, uh, it, starting with uh, Loretta Lynch's, uh, the, the former uh, Attorney General's Department of Justice report, had a scathing report against uh, Baltimore, uh, and they were doing research from 2005 to, um, uh, to, to, to the present, sorry, 2010 to 2015, uh, following the deaths of, uh, uh, Freddie Gray as well. Uh, they sent, uh, the team there and they, and they saw, um, uh, it was riddled with disparate, uh, treatment towards African-Americans. Uh, and so, this is something that was brought to light in their town. And so instead of saying, hey, you know what? Loretta Lynch did do a report on this. Instead of throwing Kyler and Kaepernick to the curb, why don't we actually bring him in? And when people say, why are they kneeling? We can actually use this to raise awareness of all the jacked up stuff that's happening in our city. But not only was it uh, a Department of Justice report where they were even finding that Complaints from the community weren't even being elevated as they were properly. Uh, I think they said from 2010 to 2015, there were over 9,000 complaints filed about police brutality. Uh, and 70% of them were not even regarded or followed up on. And so most of them just kind of went under the system and they just got it rubber stamped as, okay, that's yeah, cool. Never even researched Right. And so here's the thing about the police department, though, is that if you're someone who wants to go from, let's say, from a detective to a sergeant or wants some type of promotion, uh, it's supposed to be this promotion is supposed to be put on hold until they've been reviewed for how many claims and brought against them. But if you're rubber stamping these things, this means you could potentially be promoting people who have been doing crimes in their community. And so this all comes to a head. And so. Loretta Lynch at the Department of Justice, she, she does her uh, scathing report. And so it gets to the point where they have the, the Department of Justice ends up having to sue under Loretta Lynch, ends up having to sue the Baltimore Police Department. And so they kind of settle on kind of it's what's called like a consent decree, which pretty much says we will participate in changing and reviewing different policies that we have uh, to, to, to make sure that we're becoming more just and it's not disparate treatment. Uh, towards uh, African-Americans and we're not targeting people and just arresting people for no reason. Um, and so this consent degree kind of process is happening. And then 2016 happens and uh, President Trump becomes president. He appoints Jeff Sessions over it. And Jeff Sessions, as soon as he's in there, you know, um, and also, by the way, Jeff Sessions uh, at his hearing to be confirmed he brought the Fraternal Order of Police with him to just kind of give a sign and saying, hey, I'm standing up for police. Screw the people, essentially. So as soon as Jeff Sessions becomes attorney general, he tries to pull out of the consent decree and pretty much say, hey, hey, we're not doing this anymore. Let the states do what they want to do uh, to the point that um, uh, the other uh, 
so, but so staying with Baltimore, but a federal judge blocks him and says, no, this consent decree was agreed upon before your time. We're going to continue with it. We are going to uh, have them participate. And so what, he, what Jeff Sessions does instead is that he pulls out federal resources to actually uh, research uh, and, and co- uh, cooperate with uh, states to make sure they are actually um, agreeing with the consent decree. Because Loretta Lynch also did a scathing report on the San Francisco Police Department. And now the state's attorney general has to be head of it because Jeff Sessions has pulled out all federal support for it. Right. Um, I'm just showing you how this fragility and how this how this uh, pro police at the expense of citizens. Right. Uh, is starting is, you know, is having these consequences and is actually un- undermining help that can happen. And so um, the uh, I believe the state general, uh, attorney general at the time, um, Rod Rosenstein. Right. Um, his last case was something called the Gun Trace Task Force. Um, and so he alerts uh, Jeff Sessions because Rod Rose, Jeff Sessions is who uh, Rod Rosenstein is who Jeff Sessions selects to be his deputy attorney general. So now a little time out. Some of you might be saying, man heard that name, Rod Rosenstein. Why have I heard that name so much? So if you have any news app of any kind, there's a name that you've seen in the news. You see it every day, every second, every minute. Robert Mueller. Now, uh, what does that have to do with Rod Rosenstein? When Jeff Sessions uh, has this investigation about uh, Russia collusion, because he he participated in the um, in the Trump campaign, he says, well, Mr. President, I don't think it's right for me to be involved with this uh, investigation on collusion, seeing as though I was part of the campaign. I do declare I think it is best that I recuse myself because I have to keep making these delicious Keebler elf cookies because I am an elf. No, I'm just joking. But anyways, <laughs> Jeff Sessions says, hey, I got to recuse myself. All of my legal team is saying that I got to recuse myself. But hey, I got a deputy uh, attorney general, Rod Rosenstein. He's going to take care of this. Um and so Rod Rosenstein, after seeing how intricate it is, says, you know, we need a special counsel. And he then appoints Robert Mueller. Uh, but before Rod Rosenstein became deputy attorney general, he was working on this case called the Gun Trace Task Force. Right. And this, my friends, is why we're talking about fragility has consequences, because the same state that was so desperate to get Colin Kaepernick out of there while Colin Kaepernick was kneeling in that same city, there were there is one of the most extensive corrupt cases, <laughs> corrupt police corruption cases that I've heard about in the longest time. Right. Um, <laughs> so the country is task force. Um, these are a group of uh, eight police officers headed by um, Sergeant Jenkins who was kind of the the mastermind behind this. Here's a list of things that they've done, okay? And this is just kind of a kind of a collective list, right? They've uh they've robbed people, citizens. They've robbed drug dealers. Taken the drugs <laughs> and dealt them themselves. They carried BB guns on them in order to plant on people in case they shot an unarmed victim. To say, hey, there was a gun on him. I feared for my life, and that whole, you know, you know, same script and same story that they uh, typically do. Um, uh, 
sold uh, dirt bikes to kids and then arrested them for actually being on them. Uh, uh, people in the public defense office have said that due to their activities and how long they've reigned, some f- people have uh, ranged them from going from five years to close to 10 years, uh, that uh, a conservative, a public defender saying that a, a conservative amount of cases they tainted have been 2,000, right? Uh, 2,000 cases uh, where uh, these People were planting drugs on people, planting guns on people, uh, uh, and uh, they were arrested for racketeering charges, uh, and all of them were found guilty. Uh, Six pleaded guilty, two pled not guilty, but were found um, uh, guilty in a a federal jury trial. Uh, And this is the gun trace task force. It was set up by uh, Sheila uh, Dixon, Mayor Sheila Dixon in 2007. They were supposed to get guns off the street. But they actually got more uh, entrenched in the organization and then said, hey, this is a good way to make money. They would arrest uh, drug dealers, steal their drugs. Not only that, they would then uh, listen in on the calls of drug dealers in prison to find out where their storehouses were. Then they would go to those storehouses, take that money, turn in some for evidence, but mostly keep it. Uh, And so if you want a little (laughs) highlight sheet of of all that they've done. Um, it is it is said that uh, uh, so here's here's one thing they would do also, right? The officers would allegedly drive fast at groups of people and quickly slam on the brakes, hoping to scare to see who would take off running, and then give uh, pretense for a chase and search. Um, and, and this would just be how they would round, round up police reports uh, to the point that um, out of 60 cases that the Sergeant Jenkins was on, um, 55 of them were thrown out just because the prosecuting attorney, uh, would see that it wasn't enough probable cause or anything to, to bring this case forward. And so only five of them actually, uh, advanced. And now all of those cases, uh, most probably those five that went through now have <laughs> been reviewed because, uh, they were, they were tainted, Right. Uh, and so some of this uh, comes to a head also where now there was a uh, officer by the name of Sean Souter who was set to testify against uh, Sergeant Jenkins, who was over this task force, uh, for planting drugs on people. Right. So essentially, um, essentially, if you want to get into the the, the details of this, uh Bear with me. Uh, a guy, uh, two people were uh, ar- arrested um, after a high speed chase. Right. Um, and if you wonder why they're running from the cops, you can <laughs> look at the track record of the gun trace task force. And so uh, uh, they were uh, in 2010, uh, April 2010, uh, an Umar Burley and a uh, Brent Matthews were arrested uh, after a, a, a chase from the police officers. And so Sergeant Jenkins calls to the scene um, a guy named Sean Souter. While Sean Souter is on the way, Sergeant Jenkins kind of does a little fake search and he plants um, 28 grams of heroin <laughs> in the car of these two people, right? Um, and so 
Sean Suter then comes and he doesn't know what's going on. So he says, oh, hey, I found these drugs. And so they kind of uh, use this. And so here's the thing. Umar Burley and Brent uh, Matthews, uh, they get uh, that they, they do fed time, which means there's no parole. There's no getting out early. Uh, um, I think they're facing up to 20. They were facing up to 20 years. Um, and once uh, Rod Rosenstein got and the only reason they got out is that uh, Rod Rosenstein was uh, when he started doing his federal investigation, the name Sergeant Wayne Jenkins came up and it was all over the news. And Umar Burley, while he's in jail, says, oh, my goodness, hey, that's the guy that arrested me. And so he start he writes a letter to the U.S. Attorney's Office and says, "Hey, I think the person that uh, I think the person that uh, has me in, that arrested me might have planted uh, planted these drugs on me, which I've been saying by the way for a very long time." But uh, they they finally they finally um, look into his case and turns out yes, he plant, Sergeant Jenkins planted drugs on this. Uh, on these people and then called another officer, the Sean Suter guy to come in and then report uh, and then to, to report and say, hey, I found. Yeah, I found drugs. So here's the thing. After this gun trace task force thing, and this is, by the way, apart from the gun trace task force, this is a separate case. And so uh, Sean Suter then has to testify against this police officer and, and basically say, yeah, um, I found out that this guy was planting drugs. He called me to the scene. Uh, you know, and but here's the thing: Detective Sean Souter is murdered a day before he has to testify. Uh, and so here's here's the thing: he's 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 assigned a new partner the day of his death. Uh, there's a you know the they 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 don't they don't uh, clearly state who the suspect is. Um, uh, the, it's it's the longest time that an officer has been murdered in Baltimore over over a decade without having with having going this length of time without having an established suspect. Here's the thing, though: he was a federal he was he was testifying for a federal grand jury, but he wasn't even given federal witness protection, and so then he's murdered. Uh, and then uh, uh, Commissioner Davis in Baltimore says, "Oh well, you know, I don't think." Uh, it's not cool, but I don't think we can do anything. We'll turn it over to the FBI. The FBI now uh, uh, says, well, why? we don't want to look into the case either. So now it's kind of a cold case. And here you have a police officer who's murdered a day before he's supposed to testify against another police officer. And then when you do your research, you find out that the person who was supplying heroin to Sergeant Jenkins was a guy by the name of Sergeant Richard Willard. Uh, and Sergeant uh, Richard Willard uh, was... Pretty much uh, once they found out all the corrupt things he was doing, they said, well, you can either resign or you can fire. Right. They didn't press charges against him. So, of course, he says, hey, I'll just I'll just resign then. Whatever. Like, I, you know, he's probably made enough money off of his off of his illegal dealings. And so here you see uh, this uh, guy, Sean Suter. And so the killing was done with his own gun at a very close range. The medical examiner rules that it was a homicide. But they were saying, well, maybe he committed suicide and doing all these other all these other different things. Um, uh, he wasn't under federal protection. Uh, it was clearly signs of a violent struggle. Uh, and so, and this thing has, kind of goes, kind of goes dead. And so again, so here you see that the fragility isn't just about Colin Kaepernick and a football player, but it's also an internal system. Uh, and there was even, uh, someone who was assigned to this gun trace task force who, once he found out that they would have to rob drug dealers, he says, no, nah, I'm not going to rob drug dealers. And then they took him off the case and demoted him, right? Uh, and so you see 
the dangers of what corruption happens. So when we choose to respond to the voices of oppressed with fragility, it only worsens the situation, right? Uh, it's, it's like the story of Micah's priest that we talked about in, I believe, episode four, where if we co-sign the wicked, the, if we co-sign uh, wickedness will stay silent in the in the in the voice uh, of in the face of wickedness. We are only making it worse, right? Um, Dr. King discovers this right when he comes up against the evils of the Vietnam War. Um, uh, he says there comes to a point where silence is betrayal. And he says, I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, my own government. Right. Again, this is Dr. King. I'm going to read this again. There comes a point where silence is betrayal. I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, my own government. And so here we see Dr. King, when he hears the voices of the oppressed in Vietnam and also in the ghettos, he doesn't say, oh, we don't want to talk about that. Hey, America's great. Uh, I have a dream. Let's all be united. No. He says, hey, I can't be silent. I have to listen to them speak. I can't just send them away. I have to listen, even if it means my very own government (laughs) becomes the villain. Right. And so the thing about fragility is that we have to be willing to become the villain if that's what justice requires. Right. Uh, Because here's the thing. When when you become quiet, it 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 uh, it only mutates the evil that is being done. Right. Um, When you then you start uncovering different cases here. Uh, there were police officers that were caught reenacting crime scenes, alt, uh, uh, planting evidence, right? There was an officer named Richard Pinero, uh, and he had a body cam, and I guess he thought the body cam only worked when he activated it, but it, it takes 30 seconds and then stores them. So uh, you see that uh, he didn't know this is cameras on. So Officer Richard Pinero can be seen placing a bag of alleged uh, uh, d- uh, drugs uh in in a uh, suspect's backyard, then he walks out to the street because he doesn't know that the camera's on, and then he then he activates his body camera and returns to the alley right and acts like oh man I found these drugs but it's the same bag that he had just <laughs> he had just planted but here's the thing two other officers saw him do it and in the and in in his uh, uh when he's filing his police report talking about he found these drugs, these two other police officers say nothing, right? Uh, then then there was another case where an officer was planning drugs on a motorist. Uh, that, and he didn't, again, he didn't know his, pri- his body cam worked before he turned it on. So prior to his body cam being turned on, the footage shows that he already did a vehicle search without finding drugs. But then he turns on his body cam and goes in and it looks like, acts like it's new. And then, oh, lo and behold, now he's found another... <laughs> He's found another uh, bag of cocaine, right? But the body cam shows already, right? And so, again, like back when Loretta Lynch first read this report, she said, made this report, she said, look, it's uh, the Baltimore Police Department is riddled with racially disparate impact at every state of its enforcement actions. 
every state. I read it again. The Baltimore Police Department is riddled with a racially disparate impact at every state of its enforcement actions. They don't listen, and then comes the Gun Trace Task Force, right? And in total, and in total, it, they are accused of stealing three hundred thousand dollars in cash, three kilos of cocaine, and some of that distribute they distributed themselves. Forty-three pounds of marijuana, eight hundred grams of heroin, and stealing jewelry, watch and watches worth worth thousands. Right? They've been uh, involved with tainting nearly 3,000 cases. So that means every single case they've touched, people have to throw out cases. So people are being released from prison. So some people were innocent, but even if some people were guilty, now we have guilty people. Now we have people, <laughs> shady people on the street who could have been kept in prison if these corrupt officers weren't here. And so really the fragility and the, the lack of a willingness to actually look into this thing actually mutated um, and worsened uh the evil that was being done, right? And so then you have, and so then you have problems where uh, now they can't get people in the community to cooperate with the police, and so now it's harder for them to solve cases. Uh, and so um, this is this is this is where <laughs> we have to. Oh, and, and oh, sorry, it actually doesn't end there. <laughs> so now. Um, it's a case where in certain people's communities, they just don't value what in the world is going on with, uh, with people. And it seems to be a trend in African-American communities. And so we have someone named uh, Sherilyn Eiffel of the NAACP uh, Defense Legal Fund. She's writing a letter to improve uh, training for Baltimore police officers because now you would think after all these things that happened with the DOJ report, you think that after the gun trace task force happens, right, that finally people will say, hey, you know what? I think we have a problem here. <laughs> but no, the foolishness and the fragility continues uh, even for people internal. Now, here's what I, where I want people to pay attention, because a lot of people say, well, it's not it's not a bad system. It's just a, it's just a couple of bad apples. What I'm about to tell you is you're about to see what happens where the fragility is so high in this police department, that even when internal people do the right thing, they, they also are suppressed. Again, fragility is the reaction of the privilege to suppress voices who challenge them to change how they participate in the power structure. That, that doesn't always have to be the voices of the oppressed. It's just the voice of anyone who wants to take on this cause. Uh, just like Colin Kaepernick, and just like Loretta Lynch, and just like Rosenstein, and... Uh, uh, and just like the consent degrees were all uh, suppressed, right? Here we have uh, the Sergeant John Rosenbach, who was, uh, sorry, Josh uh, Rosenblack, who was head of uh, training police officers in the police academy. He found out that a third of the officers failed classes on conduct and constitutional law. So when you think of things like probable cause, right? Um uh, and he says, look, we are giving them a gun and a badge tomorrow and the right to take a life uh, if called for it. And they can't understand basic legal standards like probable cause and like for the laws that they that they have. Um, 
So he alerts the the uh, authorities that because this is like after the program, right? They're about to graduate, and they're like, "How in the world are you passing these officers?" It's so bad that even the fraternal order of police said, "Hey, this is troubling. These people don't understand basic legal concepts. They shouldn't. They shouldn't graduate." Now, remember what I said earlier when Jeff Sessions was getting confirmed. He brought the fraternal order of police <laughs> with them, but even the people that showed up to his hearing are agreeing with Sergeant John Rosenblatt and saying, we cannot send these officers out onto the streets if they don't can't understand basic legal concepts. But guess what happens? The Baltimore Police Department was alerted and they let them graduate anyway. Which means after the Department of Justice's gaining report, after the Gun Trace Task Force, after Freddie Gray, after all of, after, uh, uh, and, and by the way, uh, uh, the federal, there's a federal investigation, I think it's still ongoing, called Broken Boundaries, that is also looking into the corrupt Baltimore Police Department. Knowing that they have all this going forward, when they look at officers that they're sending into the future, right, uh, they still say, nah, we got it. I don't want to hear that. And they alert them anyway, and right now they're walking the streets, right? I want to talk about that, that one, Broken Boundaries, uh, the federal investigation, Here's the crazy thing about this, too. There was a police officer under investigation. It started off in the Baltimore Police Department. And uh, when the investigation, while they were investigating to see where this person was, the person was just transferred to Philadelphia. Which, by the way, is the police department that just, you know, arrested those people in Starbucks, right? (laughs) So you see these people are not even equipped to do their job. And no matter who says it, doesn't matter how they say it, um, they are not willing to listen. And so what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying here is that fragility has consequences. It worsens the situation, right? Uh, we're going to be talking about in another one, uh, and fragility has consequences where we're going to be talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault and how we have this reflex to protect the person being accused, right? But uh, Sandusky couldn't have done that. Bill Cosby couldn't have done that. Roger Ailes couldn't have done that. Uh, Harvey Weinstein couldn't have done that. You know, all of these, uh, Larry Nassar couldn't have done that, right? When you see all these people who try to report it, but the fragility, like, because here's the thing, when someone knows there's no accountability and there's no cavalry coming, checking after that, then they can do whatever they want, there is a uh, there's a uh, poli- ex police officer. Um, he did an interview with Slate magazine, uh, uh, and uh, he was talking about how these police officers know nobody's checking after them, and the way that the law is is written, they can get away with anything they want. They can pull somebody over for throwing a cigarette or for jaywalking or whatever it is, and they know as long as they say the set uh, terms of things, they can get get away with anything. And that was uh, that was the uh, the officer's name was uh, Michael Wood. You can he does a lot of interviews, kind of talking about what he saw in Baltimore and kind of how corrupt it was, and how they were definitely targeting uh, black people for things that um, you know they didn't even look for in, in in white neighborhoods. And again, that's disparate treatment. And we talked about that last episode. But uh, another thing that the lady from the NAACP uh, Legal Defense Fund, uh, Sherilyn, had said is that uh, there were even cases where. Uh, Sergeants were were training their officers on what to say if they shot an unarmed person. I remember there was a story of a uh, 
uh, of a uh, police officer. Um, he was he was uh, off duty at the time. Um, he just had a road rage. Somebody, somebody had had uh, uh, he was driving dangerously, uh, cutting in and out, almost hitting this person. Um, and, uh, you know, this person, I guess, had a light. It kind of rolled down his window and said, hey, man, uh, be careful. I have my family in here. What are you, what are you doing? So the guy gets out at the light. He's off duty now. So this other person doesn't know that he's a police officer. He pulls out his gun, goes up to the person's car, um, and shoots the guy. This is a police officer. Shoots the guy. Uh, goes back, drives back to the police, uh, go, drives back to the police department. And in his report says, uh, I feared for my life. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought that I, I, because it was close range, I, I thought he had a gun in the car and, you know, I feared for my life, X, Y, Z. Here's the thing. Guy doesn't know that the whole thing was captured by a street camera, right? And the street camera totally shows how false his report is. But here's the thing. And this is what Michael Wood says. He says the whole thing's based on fear. If I say I fear for my life, then I can, I can kill anybody that I want to. And so there's this, this, this system set up and, and and this fragility on uh, this silence uh, that happens where you're not allowed to talk about that. Right. And this is the whole 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 thing about uh, fragility. And, and, the, and the list goes on. I mean, there was this guy named uh, Sean Whiting had his house raided under false pretenses, had twenty thousand dollars stolen from his house. And the cops even took some of his children's video games. Right. <laughs> the guy served three and a half years in prison. He lost his house while he was incarcerated. Uh, and. And because the, the police officers were corrupt, eventually he was able to, to get out. Now, I mean, he I think he said even some of the money was indeed uh, drug money. But uh, the Supreme Court already has already ruled that uh, I think it was last year because of something Sony Sotomayor was very passionate about was that um, arrests can't be made under false pretenses. And then, you know, at kind of out of hoping and wishing that I'll find something illegal to justify why I stop someone without 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 cause, right? Illegal search and seizure, essentially. So there's all these things that are going on, but people aren't even able to talk about it. And so when we talk about fragility, right? Uh, when we talk about what Colin Kaepernick is doing, how many of, all, of you all get to hear about stuff like this? <laughs> right? It's just, uh, no, it's, uh, we support the troops, we support the troops. Yeah, so does Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> That's why he's kneeling instead of sitting on a Gatorade cooler. <laughs> But we never get to the point where we actually can talk about. Uh, we can actually talk about these things. I had a. I I just saw a a, a, a tweet with a meme. It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, I'm sure you you guys can't see it because this isn't isn't a visual podcast. But in the first one, it says uh, they don't like it when we protest violently, and so it's uh the first picture. First picture is like uh people in riot gear, right? It says, so it doesn't, so it's like four screens. It's like, we don't like when people protest uh, like this, right? Where it's like fire and riots, right? And then it says, but not like that. And it's Kobe Bryant with an I can't breathe shirt. And it says, and not like this. And it's uh, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, right? And then, you know, and, and then it says, and, or, and not like this. And it's like a, a protest or whatever. And so the, it's getting to the crux of it where it's saying like, look, fragility isn't really about the approach. It's not that, well, I think your approach should be different or I do is different. The thing is that 
I don't want to hear about it because it's a power structure that doesn't bother me or or it's a power structure that's that, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's not bothering me. Uh, it makes me look bad. It looks my government look bad. It makes whatever look bad. But Dr. King, when he was struggling with this, uh, whether or not he was going to come out and speak against the war. And, 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 you know, this was causing tension between him and Whitney Young. Uh, because Lindy B. Johnson pretty much was giving them the things that they wanted, but Dr. King had to say, I can't, I can't just talk about the oppression in the ghettos of America if I don't talk about the U.S. being a purveyor of violence worldwide. And so it, it, takes, it takes a cost, right, to do this. But when are we going to get to a point where we see something that happens in Starbucks and the first reaction is, oh, yeah, well, they must have done something, Right. When are African Americans and oppressed people going to be able to stand up in the land of the free and freely say the truth and reality of what has happened to them without their truth attempting to be suppressed? Because not only is the suppression bad for the oppressed, uh, it's like a fire, right? If somebody on the bottom in the basement says, yo, the house is on fire. If you say, man, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, do, yeah, man, y'all people in the basement are so extra. You're just mad because you in the basement, da, 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 uh, you know, what, whatever. But here's the thing, it's the same house. So you can listen to them when the fire is just on the bottom floor, but believe that the fire will consume the entire house if it's not dealt with, right? These people in the gun trace task force weren't just robbing people in the hood, <laughs> They were robbing. They were robbing people in 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 uh, more affluent parts and stealing their jewelry and stealing their watches and uh, just taking things that didn't that didn't belong to them, right? But it all started in the hood, right? In the places where society says it's okay to turn the other way, or hey, we don't we don't we don't we don't care about that, right? It starts. It started there, and so this is the danger of fragility. Uh, it blinds us to where the true work needs to happen. Or not that it actually it doesn't blind us, right? Fragility is that I see it, but I'm going to look the other way. And we talked about this, talking about if your non isn't turned to anti, it's a sin. Fragility is bad because it doesn't even let you get to non, <laughs> right? And so this is what I'm talking about in this episode when we're talking about fragility, uh, has consequences, and I want you to check um, what is your first response when you hear things like this. We're, and this is a series, so we're going to be talking, I think we're going to be talking uh, in the coming weeks about uh, sexual assault, right? Um, uh, and so these are, these are things that we're going to be, we talked about, but it, it talks about, again, a difference in thought and changing how we participate in the power structure are we going to be like the people who were in Starbucks who says, oh, no, I see what this is. I'm not, I'm not going to stand for this. Right. Are we going to oppose these things? But here's the thing. You can never get to non. You can never get to anti if you're locked in fragility because you will just suppress those voices and suppress those voices and suppress, suppress, suppress that you will you'll be rendered. Inactive in the fight against injustice. So, 
could you imagine if, you know, Baltimore actually embraced the narrative that Colin Kaepernick was trying to <laughs> was trying to was, was trying to do? And this is more than just football. I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just talking about that seems to be the 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 trigger moment that people you know seem to oppose and so like it's always it's always distracting from that and so it's like maintaining maintaining your focus uh dr king uh talks about uh has a sermon called how to stay awake during a great revolution and he talks about uh a guy named uh he talks about the story of rip van winkle and he says the greatest the saddest thing about rip van winkle the story of rip van winkle is that he slept through a revolution, right? He says, you know, like, um, while, you know, whatever, the American Revolution or whatever revolution was happening where the king was being overthrown, Rip Van Winkle was asleep and he was inactive to either, to, to the side that was just, right? And so fragility is one of the things that continues to rock us to sleep. It just... It just says, oh, this isn't worth anything. That's not worth listening to. You just stay in your privilege. You just stay in your power structure that benefits you. Don't think outside the box. Don't listen to these people. And so fragility is, or defendedness, is a way that will guarantee you to sleep through a revolution, right? Uh, when When you see the Parkland students just asking for a different way of even considering a different way of of approaching this and it's oh no we they're just kids they don't they don't know whatever oh they're 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 liberals they're snowflake they're you know whatever it's like hey keep an open mind be quick to listen slow to speak slow to anger fragility is quick to anger quick to speak slow to listen again uh the scriptures inform us that we are to be Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Fragility teaches you to be quick to anger, quick to speak, slow to listen. Because here's the thing. For those who have had a conversation about Kaepernick or about racism or all these other things, when it comes to racism, when it comes to police brutality, when you see Mike Brown and it's like, oh, we had it coming to him. He was ghetto. He was a thug. Or Trayvon Martin. Oh, he had weed on him. or, Or, you know. It, it, it deflects you, it deflects the issue, and it keeps you from talking about this thing that is growing and mutating right before us, that if we do not have the courage, the moral courage to face it, just like Dr. King did, it took moral courage for him to look at his, to not just look at the evils of racism and poverty, but also militarism. It took moral courage for him to look into the face of, of his country and say, I go around preaching of the ideals of America and calling people to do that, but America is the most violent purveyor of deconstructing these same issues across the world. We need to have the moral courage of Dr. King where we're able to look in the mirror and we're able to say, even though I might have a part in this, even though this may mean this may change how I participate with the power check and require a subtraction from me. Fragility, <laughs> though it seems my friend right now, is really a boundary to the true society that I desire. And so that's what I have for this episode. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Um, 
if you guys have questions or you guys want to talk to me about it or I would say, look, keep researching this topic. Keep your eyes on this. Say a prayer for Baltimore when you get the chance because they're going through a lot. Uh, and also, it's, it's the people are saying it's also connected to violence because when there are issues in, in in communities that need to be resolved, but people don't trust the police, people often turn to other methods of resolving issues, right? Um, uh, like Birdman said, are oh, we finished or are we done, right? Like, <laughs> that's actually a street way of saying, are you done or do you need to be handled, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, fragility is your enemy, Right. But if you can get past the initial anger and the initial just knee jerk reaction and decide that I'm not going to be silent about this and I'm not also going to be a silent sir. But like we said in the first episode, the job of the truth teller is to hold the mirror up. There are people who don't like the mirror. Some people smash the mirror, some people. But look, whether you smash the mirror or not, it doesn't change the reality. I'm just informing you. Right. America has a problem with police brutality. America has a problem with racism. It didn't it didn't become an issue when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Right. All he wanted to do was raise awareness and have a discussion, a discussion we still haven't had. This is the same uh, pushback that Dr. King faced. Dr. King has this uh, I believe in his song. It's in his uh book why we can't wait uh he talks about <clears throat> he gives an illustration of racism and he and, he, and he, he he uses it like this he says if a doctor comes to a patient and says well you have a tumor we checked it out and it and it's cancerous right so you have a cancer when you have to remove this no one would have the audacity to tell the doctor <clears throat> you invented this right you, I didn't have tumor. Till you, I didn't have cancer until you told me about it. This is your fault. People would thank the doctor and say, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much." Now I know that that I have cancer. Now I can work on this so that we can get it out of our system. What do I have to do next? But when it comes to racism, people treat people like that. They say they're divisive, and they say, "Oh man, uh, things wouldn't be as divisive if you hadn't brought this up." And and Dr. King saying, "Like, look, man, I'm just a doctor, right?" I'm just telling you that it's here and I'm telling you we have to do something about it. But if you're so fragile that you're not willing to listen and hear that you even have a problem, this cancer is going to kill you. And so and we create all these fancy ways of saying it and saying, oh, it's the troops or we say blue lives matter. Well, where was blue lives matter for Sean Souter? An uh, African-American officer who was killed and they still haven't had a suspect. Then the police try to pass it on to the FBI, and the FBI passed it back to the police, and the police are just saying, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. Where are Blue Lives Matter then? <laughs> right? We have these creative ways of, of maintaining our fragility. But when it comes down to it, it really is, I don't want to hear about it because I still want to believe the lie that America is the best thing in the world since the Ten Commandments, Right? <laughs> I want to believe America is so great. And right after God wrote the Ten Commandments, he made <laughs> he made the Constitution. And right after he made angels, he made police. That is not the truth. And if you keep believing that and you keep suppressing voices that like that, you're going to sleep through a revolution. Except you're not going to sleep through a revolution. You're going to sleep through a fire in your house. And when you are wake up and are consumed at through it, 
and the smoke is outside your door and you try to escape and the doorknob is too hot for you to use, you will only have yourself to blame for not listening to the people who tried to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, this house is on fire. That is the danger of fragility. That is the consequence of listening to fragility instead of the oppressed. And so when we talk about what Colin Kaepernick chose to do with his platform, Colin Kaepernick saw that America was falling asleep and turning a blind ear to the fire that is racism, inequity, and specifically police brutality. And Colin Kaepernick chose to wake up and to scream out through his protest, though it was silent, he was screaming out, yo, wake up, this house is on fire, we need to put it out. And Americans, and even the president, and Christian first, American second, Mike Pence, <laughs> rallied the nation to say, how dare you, I was sleeping really well, Go back to bed or get out the house. So they throw Colin Kaepernick out of the house. And they say, you can't come back in. If you're going to be talking about that fire stuff, because we trying to sleep in here. <laughs> right. To their own detriment. The people tried to take away his platform. And that's why it was the genius of. Of him doing his $100,000 pledge because he's saying some of y'all think this isn't real. So I'm going to give to organizations that have been working for years on the issues that are real. Right. And so he he, he gave a million dollars over stress time to, to in a way to engage and say, if you don't think what I'm doing is real, why does this organization exist? Why does this organization exist? Why does this organization exist? I would encourage all of you to Google who he gave a million dollars to and to study the work of these organizations to see that your fragility was wrong. Let's not be like Baltimore and wait until it gets super, super bad or wait till it hits our home. Let's be like Dr. King and have the moral courage to be slow, uh, <laughs> to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to come to the aid of those who are oppressed instead of being quick to try and suppress them. That's the episode. You know what it is. It's Charlie Ray. Um, you can give, you can email me at a difference in thought at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at a diff in thought at gmail.com. And again, you know, I hit you guys up with this at the end of every episode, man. If you are listening to this and you're like, man, this is, this really helped me out. This is great. It's cool to text me, but let me tell you what I really need you to do. I need you to go to iTunes, I need you to hit five stars. And I need you to type a quick sentence or two or three or however many you'd like on how this is helping you out because it helps me to get the message out to more people. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has uh, been a difference in thought. Episode number seven. Fragility has consequences. Colin Kaepernick, Baltimore and the Gun Trace Task Force. Thank you for listening. And as always, I'm your host, Charlie Ray. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.